the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good evening, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment and another edition of The Advocate. And uh, tonight we're going to be talking in our first two segments to a returning guest, Kevin Brennan, from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health, a communications officer, to bring us an update on what is happening with regard to the state of COVID in Cuyahoga County. Kevin, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Certainly, Nick. Thank you for having me. Well, we've been talking for months now. (laughs) We're on our one-year anniversary of talking about COVID and COVID pandemic. Uh, We have seen the birth of vaccines. We now have three vaccines out and about. We have an active vaccination process and program. Uh, We have the numbers going down. Um, What can you tell us about how are we doing? Let's first start talking about the numbers. How are we doing COVID infection-wise, number of infections and hospitalizations, ICUs, and deaths? Well, our case counts are going down, Nick, which is encouraging, uh, as are the fatalities. So everything is headed in the right direction in terms of numbers, uh, as are the vaccination numbers. Uh, We're starting to excuse me, see a slight increase in, excuse me, vaccine supply. And this has resulted in us being able to uh, put a few more people through at each of our clinics. Uh, As you know, we do one in in Berea uh, every Wednesday, and then we have sort of a traveling one on the weekend on the east side. And we've been able to increase the counts for each of those by a few hundred over the last couple of weeks based on uh, the fact that we have a little bit more vaccine. So that is encouraging. How is that translating, do you think, into the drop in cases being reported? Well, I think what what has happened by and large is with the governor's plan to begin with what they call the 1A group, in which we our responsibility was vaccinating EMS uh, personnel primarily, and uh, the state worked with the pharmacies to work inside of the nursing homes to get uh, the people who were living in long-term care environments to get them vaccinated. Uh, because we know that's where a large number of the fatalities had come from that area. So by getting the people who lived in those environments and worked in those environments vaccinated and then working backwards from there, that seems to have been a a very sound strategy and has uh, helped reduce uh, both the infection rate and the fatality rate. That's interesting that we're moving in that that direction. You know, I was uh, driving out through northern Ohio last night and uh, driving out past the several large intersections around uh, Summit County and Stark County, I noticed that the bars and the restaurant parking lots were packed. Uh, Are are we getting any reports that people are really coming out of their pandemic state and starting to do more socialization? And if so, is that going to have an effect, do you think, on the rates again for uh, new COVID cases? Well, I think by the lifting of the curfew, you know, uh, that, that the governor, uh, you know, he had instated that curfew and then uh, he, he lifted it. I think that was a relief to the business community, certainly, because they could expand their hours of operation and people who felt comfortable going out 
maybe before the pandemic in terms of they weren't very sound believers in, in the validity of the virus. Uh, or now we could have people who are, uh, you know, possibly been vaccinated who are, who are, uh, you know, feeling a little bit more adventurous and going out. But, you know, I think it's a little bit of a race uh, in terms of we bring more people together and we have the strains that are out there and we know that those are more infectious than what we began with a year ago. And then we are vaccinating, you know, thousands of people each week. So it's kind of a, you know, I don't, I don't we're running side by side here. And then we're hoping that, uh, you know, we can eventually get more people vaccinated. And then those people that choose not to get vaccinated, you know, maybe they can be protected under this, uh, the term that people have heard, uh, herd immunity. But we are still a very long way from that. So, um, you know, we, we still have quite a ways to go. You mentioned non-vaccinations. Uh, do we have an idea of what percentage of uh, public who are eligible for vaccinations are choosing not to have vaccinations? Um, I don't think with any sound numbers we're there, Nick. Um, you know, I, I think what the state's re, re, uh, reflecting on and focusing on here going forward with the, uh, the electronic dashboards that they have at coronavirus.ohio.gov is the number of people who are choosing to get vaccinated, and they're very, you know, forthcoming with those numbers. Uh, I don't, I don't know that there's a really good estimate in some of the sectors uh, as to who's not getting it. I know early on when we talk about long-term care here again, there was a reluctance on a number of people's part to get the vaccine the first time around. But people in those environments have been offered the vaccine either two or three times, and I think now that it's come around a few more times, uh, there's been a better uptake of vaccine in that population. For us here in Cuyahoga County, with regard to people who have received both doses, uh, have we had any uh, unique cases with regard to adverse effects, such as um, death, hospitalizations, or, or some types of documented uh, significant uh, reactions like anaphylactic shock or something? Any of that going on here with the vaccinations we have now? Uh, not that we've been made aware of. So I can't say with certainty that it hasn't happened. I mean, I'm certain that we would know if, if someone had died from the vaccine for sure. But in terms of people having allergic reactions, as you mentioned, anaphylaxia or anaphylaxis, uh, you know, I'm not sure, uh, you know, if that has been reported possibly to a private physician or a private hospital system, but we have not been made aware of it at the Board of Health. You know, my wife and I have volunteered to work out at Berea at the pods, uh, helping the people who were uh, taking their time out to see if they're having a reaction. And uh, each time we were there, we'd see hundreds of people and hadn't noticed any reaction at all to either the first or second shot, at least within the first 15 minutes. Uh, are we hearing anything more about uh, the, the dreaded second shot and what kind of reactions people are having? Well, it seems to be uh, that a lot of people have a reaction to the second dose. Uh, it seems to be more Moderna anecdotally. Uh, I, I will mention I don't have data to back this up. But anecdotally, it seems to be more Moderna than Pfizer at this point. Uh, but it's very short-lived. It seems to be with the second dose, within 24 to 48 hours, you have what has been typically described by people, uh, fatigue, maybe muscle ache, chills, just a general malaise. Uh, and a good night's sleep usually takes care of it. And the next day you wake up and you feel back to normal. So, uh, and it tends to be a little bit, skews a little bit older in terms of the reaction. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it seems to be that the younger people aren't necessarily as affected uh, as the older population. 
So, uh, but that's what we hear anecdotally. I, I'd be interested to see at some point. Uh, there, will, I'm certain there will be a summary uh, by the CDC or, or National Institute of Health uh, that will tell us a little bit more about that. When we talk about anecdotal reports, I can give you a report for my wife and I. We had our second shot of Moderna, and uh, she only had the slightest headache uh, for the second day for maybe a couple hours. And I just had some shoulder soreness for less than a couple hours. So we got through the second shot of Moderna without any adverse effects. And so although it was an interesting thing, once we got the shot, being aware of what the uh, symptoms can be of uh, problems after the second shot, we took the second shot, which was a non-event, and we were wondering, okay, what's going to strike us? And uh, we're fortunate nothing happened. So that's that's a good good report. Well, and it's certainly, you know, the, the, the little bit of time that you may be, uh, you know, inconvenienced or, or need a little bit more sleep or whatever it is around a second shot, that is certainly a, a much better option than, you know, continuing to run the risk of contracting COVID. So we just, we just want to you know, make people aware if you do have the opportunity to get the vaccine and you are eligible, uh, you know, the, the side effects are not something necessarily to be overly concerned about, I think, unless you have had any sort of prior reaction to a vaccination. Now, certainly if you have had that, <clears throat> excuse me, occur in your life, then you want to make sure that you talk to a doctor or, 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 you know, somebody in the medical field that can give you some sound advice on an individual basis. Well, just to be safe, the day after the second injection, I had that day cleared off, uh, but I felt so good the second day I went into the office and went to work anyway and uh, able to uh, just enjoy a normal life. Not to mention the psychological effects of having been vaccinated with both shots Getting that behind us certainly causes us to have sort of a liberated feeling. So uh, another another good reason. Even though we don't do everything, knowing that we can do things, we can be freer, is a good feeling. Oh, certainly. You know, I mean, as, as we continue to wear masks and socially distance and do all the things that we've talked about for, as you say, a year now, uh, it is, uh, you know, certainly a provider of peace of mind, you know, to, to know that you've been vaccinated. So in the event that you would, have to travel somewhere or have to do something a little bit out of the ordinary, um, at least you, you feel a little bit better protected uh, before you begin. Well, and, and that's there. And we, we can see, from what I'm hearing, uh, travel is starting to come back and people are uh, making reservations for airlines and uh, other vacation spots. And certainly 2021 is going to be different than that missing year we have, 2022. But uh, in any event, we're, we're talking to Kevin Brennan. He's the uh, communications officer for the Cuyahoga County Board of Health. And we're talking about the status of COVID in Cuyahoga County and how the vaccination program is going. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK, The Advocate. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. And we have Kevin Brennan from the Cuyahoga County Board of Health with us tonight, talking about COVID-19, of course, as well as the vaccination program. Kevin, as always, thank you for joining us. Certainly, Nick. Thanks again for having me. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to continue to provide everybody with a little bit of advice, uh, a little bit of information, and, and especially since we're turning in a more positive direction. Well, it's good to hear positive news for a change. We've been living most of this year with 
week after week of negative stuff. But uh, with regard to by the numbers, how, how are we doing with regard to vaccinations and how many people have their first shot and their second shot? And uh, how are we doing on testing? Well, in terms of vaccines started, uh, <clears throat> this date is current as of, um, of earlier this week. We had 174,281 people who had at least received one dose. Uh, we had almost 91,000 people who have completed the series, meaning they have received both doses. So uh, the people who have received two doses reflect 7.2% of our county population. So we are certainly, again, moving in the right direction. Uh, we're very encouraged by that. And I think what we'll see, Nick, is uh, as I think we've heard both the, the, uh, President Biden and Governor DeWine say that vaccine supply will increase over the course of the month of March. And we certainly see that reflected in the fact uh, that the uh, mass vaccine pod was uh, was announced earlier uh, this week. And so, you know, there certainly is more supply becoming available and we'll be able to get some more people. Uh, in terms of testing, we're very encouraged uh, by what we see, uh, by the number that's connected to that. Any of you who've been listening to Nick and I for a while know that we talk about positivity rate, right? The, the uh, person's ability to infect another person. And uh, we've seen that rate go down significantly. Uh, in the nursing home environment, particularly, uh, we're down to a positivity rate of 8.7 right now. And uh, we were looking at numbers upwards of 20% uh, earlier in the fall of 2020 and over the winter. So this is very encouraging that uh, this number is going in the right direction. I think it's reflective of what we talked about earlier, Nick, and the fact that the governor really concentrated on that long-term care environment as the place to begin. Uh, in terms of both getting case counts down and preventing fatalities. And we see that working. These numbers really bear that out. Now, and that, we may have talked about this before, but I'm still uh, curious about the numbers coming down with a positivity rate of 8.7. How much of that is uh, a part and a result of the vaccinations that are going on versus the result of a number of people having and having had COVID and have generated their own antibodies? Or I'm assuming it's some combination of both. I would think so. Not being a doctor, um, I would say, from a layman's standpoint, I think you're right. Uh, and I also think, too, it's reflective of the fact that just obviously if, if less people, you know, are getting COVID, then the numbers are going down, positivity rates going down, we're going in the right direction. But, yeah, there are people, too, um, you know, who do have, uh, who do have antibodies built up. Um, you know, what we really appreciate about the vaccine is that, you know, it really generates that, you know, somewhat immediate response in your body uh, to be able to help you fight off COVID. And I think when we see the the well into the double digits of the positivity rate we had earlier, and now we're down in the single digits, uh, again, that's that's really reflective of the fact that we've saturated that environment with vaccine, and uh, it seems to, to be working. When the people are vaccinated, and when we have the Pfizer and Moderna, and we get the two shots, or we get the Johnson and Johnson, the one shot, and people are quote unquote fully immune. Uh, we notice that with the Johnson and Johnson, it's probably the uh, efficacy is about seventy-two to seventy-five percent, and the other mm -hmm. two are in the nineties, ninety-five plus percent. That means there's still a percentage of people who are vaccinated, 
and still get and become infected with the COVID-19. Do we have any information from CDC or from other sources as to what is it like for a vaccinated person uh, if they do become infected? Well, what we think is very similar to the flu vaccine, Nick. Um, if we look at the flu vaccine, we're, our efficacy rate can range anywhere from 45 to 60 percent typically in a year. <clears throat> so we still have the warning that we always give to people who get the flu vaccine is that you still may get the flu, but your symptoms will presumably be mild and your span of illness will be shorter. And I think that's exactly what, what doctors uh, you know, have, have related it to in terms of COVID-19. You know, you can still get sick, but the thought is that you'll have a very mild case and you won't get a severe case, which will require hospitalization uh, so that, you know, the, the very imminent, uh, you know, threat of potentially, you know, becoming a fatality from COVID is greatly diminished. And, you know, you, you can pr- presumably write it out uh, at home if you do end up becoming ill. Would the County Board of Health receive notice of people who are reinfected with COVID or infected with COVID post? receiving vaccinations? Would you keep those numbers? Well, it depends on what we talk about in terms of reinfection. You know, if somebody feels that they get it again, then it's a matter of do they go to a physician, right? And then do they go through the testing process? And then by the time they go through all that, they might already have run their course, you know, if if given that they would have a mild case. So I think that, you know, if somebody wants to pursue it and contact a physician and get tested and all that, you know, and they do come back positive, then they would count as another positive case. Um, but I'm not mm-hmm. sure statistically in terms of state reporting and all that, that's not my area. So I'm not sure how that then, you know, gets cataloged or categorized in the overall total. Um, but from a reporting standpoint, a physician would be required to report another instance of COVID because it is a reportable disease under the state code. Well, I guess I misspoke a little bit because I was more concerned with uh, as more and more people are going to come online being fully vaccinated, if any of them come down with COVID, will the county be keeping track of those, the people who never had it before but did pick it up uh, subsequent to being vaccinated? And I would assume that would be a very low number, if anything, here in Calgary County. Have we heard of any such cases yet? No, we have not. Um, I mean, I'm certain, you know, that, it, it, as again, if that gets reported, you know, it would be a statistic that, that we would be aware of, but I am not, a, I'm not, uh, it's not been brought to my attention that, that we've had any of those yet. Well, that's, that's good news. As uh, I think most people are looking at being fully vaccinated as being a ticket to freedom and the end of the pandemic. Uh, Johnson & Johnson having their emergency approval by the FDA for their vaccine. Uh, are there plans to have the Johnson & Johnson vaccine dispensed by the county, or or how will J&J be dispensed here in in the county, if not by the county? Well, we, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. We we already have received um, a handful of Johnson & Johnson, and I think what we're going to use that for, Nick, is more of our mobile efforts. Um, As we we have discussed, we have a team of people who go out to um, congregate settings, um, group homes, behavioral facilities, um, people who um, are unable to get out for, you know, medically-based reasons. Um, you know, we're, we have a team that, that deals with that. And so I think the Johnson & Johnson is an ideal piece for that in that we don't have to go back to those people a second time and they don't have to, you know, make any sort of accommodations or extra effort uh, besides the initial encounter. So it's, it's really, uh, 
a one-dose vaccine is ideal for those kind of situations. So we're very glad to see the introduction of the Johnson & Johnson because it makes our job uh, a little bit more efficient in, in those environments I mentioned. As people are listening to this and listening to the news and reading about the vaccinations, uh, I think most vastly most people know that there are three vaccines. If uh, people want to choose a particular vaccine, uh, do they have to take the vaccine given at the location they're going to, or is there some way they can choose what vaccine to take? No, unfortunately, it's not like going to the grocery store and picking it off the shelf. Uh, it's whatever the clinic provides at that time. Now, that's not to say that when you go to um, a mass vaccine clinic where thousands of doses are being given out, um, that you won't have uh, more than one available. But I'll tell you the way that we work it is, um, you know, we have to this point um, only brought one type of vaccine to a clinic. Uh, because it's just easier to manage. Uh, we've talked before about the different storage requirements for Pfizer versus Moderna, um, the need to keep it cold until you use it, um, the fact that once you pierce a vial, you only have a handful of hours to, to use that vaccine. So with all those considerations, um, on the scale that we're doing vaccination, it doesn't you know, really make sense for us to bring more than one kind. But when we talk about this this piece that's been discussed by by FEMA now and the governor uh, the other day about uh, the mass vaccine clinic at the Wolstein Center, you may there possibly see more than one type. I'm not certain of that, and I can't speak to that with any sort of authority. It's just my speculation that, you know, they may have more than one type available at some point. Oh, good. Well, we'll have to keep your eyes open if you're going in. We had the Moderna. We'll keep everyone advised how that works. But, Kevin Brennan, thank you so much for bringing us this update, and we'll talk to you again uh, maybe next month, and see how we're doing from that point on. Thank you. Very good, Nick. Thank you. Thank you. And we're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words. Don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Cleveland. Nick Phillips with you with another segment of The Advocate. In the next two segments, we're going to be talking to State Representative Tom Patton and find out what's going on in Columbus right now in early March. 2021. Tom Patton, thank you for joining us. It's always a pleasure, Nick. How you been? Oh, I've been doing great. Just uh, spring is coming. But to tell me, what's happening in Columbus? Well, uh, as you know, every two years we begin a new General Assembly, and the first order of business is to work on the budget. And the very first part of the budget that we need to address is the transportation budget. And uh, yesterday, uh, uh, I got confirmation that uh, uh, it's well on its way to the Senate. Um, we passed uh, on, a, on a vote of 87 to 8, a $7 billion transportation budget. So the folks know when they pay their gasoline tax, um, all that money by Constitution is uh, devoted to highways, you know, roads, bridges, etc. And as a trivia note, we have more bridges in Ohio than any state in the Union except for... Texas. That's always a good Oh, really? Again. And, We're so much uh, smaller. Yeah, but people, when you ask that, you know, is a trivia question, people guess Minnesota, they guess Michigan, they guess people that have a lot of little lakes, and uh, but it's it's Texas, and it's a pretty, pretty big state, but as you drive down 71 to Columbus, it seems like when they built the road, they cut down the middle of America because there's always all these overpasses that have to go over the highway, and that accounts for, I'm sure, a lot of them, but... Uh, um, in any event, it was it was good to get the budget uh, 
done it over the Senate. One of the things we had to come up with was a solution. We had a funding issue with the uh, Department of Public Safety um, because which uh, they have the highway patrol, and so but we're, we're not using the gas tax. We had to find uh, money out of the general revenue fund to cover the shortfall for the uh, state highway patrol, and uh, there's they're down. They're usually at about sixteen hundred. Uh, troopers, and they're right now currently at 1,532, and they wanted to kind of get back to their uh, normal operating level, and uh, so that was key. The other thing is that the governor's introduced version of the uh, transportation budget had a significant cut in transportation costs. It kind of had us all puzzled. Uh, you know, it's just, uh, it was extraordinary, like $70 million to seven from one year to the next uh so to say mm-hmm. a little bit, that was significant. And uh, we heard from a lot of the more urban, you know, representatives how important, you know, traffic, you know, bus transportation was for the folks that work, you know, and need to go. Now, RTA had told me that even in the pandemic, they're still conducting 93% of their traditional routes, but yet they have less than 50% of the passengers. So I guess... It doesn't matter if there's 22 people on the bus going to work or there's seven people on the bus, but the bus has got to get those people to work. And uh, so it's still it's still vital, and I think that uh, we were able to satisfy the uh, the folks, you know, in the RTA world or the CODA, which is the Columbus RTA world, and the other bus uh, services throughout the state. And uh, so, um, you know, we were able to get that passed along, and uh, obviously we're working on a, um, a bill that we'll probably vote out next week, and that's a school funding fix. Um, it was passed out of the House last year. Uh, Bob Cup, who's the current speaker, was called the Cup-Patterson bill because um, he had begun working on it before he stepped into the speakership role, and uh, I, what I did in our district uh you know, I have Strong's in North World and Olmsted Falls and Berea, and I had all four of my superintendents take a look at the plan uh, to see if they would sign off on it, which they all did, and uh, to make sure that they felt that it was fair to them, you know, and to their districts. And uh, so we had voted on it last year, and uh, the Senate, you know, candid- well, the Senate kind of got it a little bit later, but there was some thought that they knew it was coming, you know, but the finance chairman over there thought there might be a better way to do it. So we've just gone ahead and tweaked it a little bit, but sent over kind of the same version of it with some optimism that uh, we can get this problem. This has been a problem since the first 1991 court case uh, filed by a gentleman named Rolf against the state of Ohio. And uh, um, there's no magic bullets here. You know, it just costs money to educate kids. And if people is there going to be much re, uh, realignment of funding, or will all the school districts get proportionally what they have been getting? Are we seeing any changes here? Yeah, no, I think they'll actually, all of them will see some additional funding. Um, and But what we have to come up with is a way that we can fill in. It's not going to be rolled out year one, two, or three. We have to give ourselves some time to kind of build up to the point where the state can begin providing from the general revenue fund. Um, the additional money it's going to cost for the schools. We put a, we put a lot of money into K through 12 already. Besides Medicaid, uh, K through 12 is the second highest budget line uh, that we have. But in order to be compliant, you know, with the courts, 
that says, you know, it's uh, it's unfair to rely as much as we're relying on property tax. But the challenge has always been, if if it's not from the property tax, where else is it coming from? If you raise sales tax by a penny, uh, which you know by a full percent, you raise a billion dollars. And this is a question that you have to fund by the many billions of dollars. You know, so you can't just add sales tax. Property tax is still going to be one of the portions by which we fund it. Uh, and as I say, this is a vote we'll take next week. There might be some amendments to the bill. Uh, they might pull the bill from the vote. I don't think so. The speaker seemed to indicate this is an all-hands-on-deck bill, what we have to kind of make. And uh, and then, we, you know, again, we're still focusing on the rest of the state budget. You know, one of the good things about revenue is that, if you recall in May of last year, the governor had said we had to cut like $700 million in early May so that we could end the fiscal year, which ends June 30th, uh, in balance, and hopefully the listeners will appreciate the fact that at least in Ohio, you know, we have a constitutional amem- uh, mandate to make sure that the, the we have to balance the budget. We can't overspend. Uh, there's oftentimes in, in tougher years where in the middle of the year you do what's called a budget correction bill. So you actually start trimming the trees a little bit and cutting back on spending. You know, and I think that's good. I think every government should spend within their means. You know, and I think every government should be accountable for every dollar that they spend within the means. We have an uh, open checkbook kind of thing that the Secretary of State Treasurer many years ago, Josh Mandel, initiated. And uh, so I think that that's something that uh, the school districts and the local cities, I think, you know, the folks deserve to know where the money is being spent. And uh, If the money is coming in, uh, where is it coming in from? Is our economy recovering from COVID? Are we still getting federal dollars? or How are those revenues coming in? The revenue, uh, I was beginning to say, uh, in February, the February numbers, we were $180 million above projections. So, And that brought the year to date total, and the year started July 1st of 2020, and, uh, the, and we'll end you know, June 30th. Uh, but that's how the year goes. So we're $800 million ahead, and most importantly, the governor in May, when he cut $730 million in spending, a lot of that was Medicaid cuts. And that was bad because, you know, Medicaid serves the very the, the poor, the young that have no medical coverage, the elderly that have no coverage. And so anytime you make a cut in that direction, you, you know that that cut's going to hurt. Um, but everything got cut to get to that last, you know, seven weeks of the fiscal year. And the governor at that time said he didn't want to touch the rainy day fund because he fully expected, as I did, that we have like $2.8 billion in the rainy day fund that uh, I'll recall that when John Kasich was sworn in, we had $0.89. Cents. So in the years from John Kasich till now, we've been successfully able to bank, save away that $2.8 billion with the B. And uh, surprisingly, you know, we haven't touched it yet. And it looks like we might not have to. So the economy is doing much better. I think the federal stimulus has kept companies working, has kept employees working. Um, And uh, the question that comes up is if they're working from home but their offices are downtown, should they be paying their taxes at home or should they be paying their taxes, you know, at the place of employment? That's a good question. That has not been fully vetted out yet. You know, some of the folks that live in different townships, as an example, you know, I have Olmsted Township in my district, and uh, 
right next to that is Columbia Township. Townships don't pay mm-hmm. uh, income taxes. It's one of the benefits of uh, of not of, of living in a township. Of course, it's offset by the fact that you don't get your garbage picked up, you know, and other services that uh, like snow plowing and things like that. You've got to be creative and coming up with ways to to do that. But you know, people go in there with their eyes wide open. The great example has been Olmsted Falls, Olmsted Township. A lot of people have made the argument because they they intersect each other. I mean, you're in one minute you're in Olmsted Falls, the next minute you're in the township, the next minute you're back in the falls, the next minute. I mean, it's. Oh, I know that that, line that is so right. so complicated. We're talking to State Representative Tom Patton about the state of the state of Ohio. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back after these words, so don't go away. You're listening to Nick Phillips here on WHK. Welcome back to our final segment of The Advocate tonight. This is Nick Phillips, and we have with us tonight Ohio State Representative Tom Patton, uh, who joins us from time to time, and we're enjoying his presence tonight, updating us on what's going on in the state of Ohio. Tom, thank you for joining us, as always. Appreciate it, Nick. The last time you were on was in the early part of November, and uh, we were still living with COVID, and we still are living with COVID. Uh, the vaccinations have started. Uh, we think that we're starting to see the light with regard to the reopening of the state of Ohio. How's it looking from your standpoint? How are we doing with the vaccinations and the economy? I'm greatly encouraged. Um, I thought that the governor had put a, uh, uh, on Friday, of, of this, a few days ago, the governor um, uh, had a, uh, uh, press conference where he announced some mass vaccination points. They selected Cleveland State. Um, it's close to an area of people that are currently have been underserved, uh, both in the uh, on the um, ec- economic scale as well as the racial scale. There's uh, there's been a lot of um, uh, folks have pointed out that fewer minorities by percentage have been able to get vaccinated. So hopefully. This, uh, they think they can do 6,000 vaccinations today over like eight-week period. That will include both three-week shots. But I think that the vaccinations are already starting to tell the story. The number of cases have gone down. The governor at one point has said, when we have 2,500 or less cases a day for 10 straight days, I'll reopen the bars and restaurants till they're normal operating. And that happened a couple weeks ago. Um, and now I think he's saying that if we get to less than 50 cases per 100,000 people a day, um, you know, and I don't know how many cases, I guess you do the math, 100,000 divided into 11 and mm-hmm. 6 million people, you'll figure out how many cases a day that would be. Then he's going to open up the state. But I think that, you know, everybody should, um, you know, we're all, I shouldn't say we're all adults because we have children, but, you know, we live in a world that, you know, some people put their seatbelt on the moment they get in the car. Other people choose not to. Some people decide to, you know, talk on the phone while they're driving. You know, some people choose not to. And uh, same thing with texting. I was disappointed. The governor kind of wanted to get that texting bill in. Um, and, you know, candidly, we had enough folks that objected. They thought civil liberties were more important. People are adults should make the decision. You know, I hate the thought of people texting while they're driving. I really do. And I see it on 71 going down, you know. But back to the COVID, um, you know, so I think that as the shots roll out, and I was pleased that the, uh, with you know, the president's plan to have everybody vaccinated by May, um, you know, and, and I, 
understand that there's a significant number of people that choose. They don't trust the vaccine. They think it was rushed out too quickly. Um, but, you know, I saw Senator Portman volunteered to be on the Johnson & Johnson study and turned out, you know, he, you know, they contacted him and after the study was over and said, well, you, you didn't get the placebo, you got the real shot. And, you know, so that's the third shot. What's nice about the shots is the fact that studies of all three, Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson, will show that if you get the shot, the, the, the virus won't kill you. You might still get the virus. You know, Moderna and, and Pfizer, the 94 90%, 95% effectiveness ratio, um, and although the Johnson & Johnson is not quite as high, they still say that if you get the one-time shot with Johnson & Johnson, you're still going to be... Um, 100% inoculated against death by COVID. You know, at the end of the day, um, COVID has hit people, in some cases, deadly, and in some cases, severely, in some cases, very mild, you know, and in young people. And we never know what, what's in store for us. Nobody knows. Yeah, it's like opening up a lottery ticket. You don't, you know, you don't know what lottery numbers you're going to have and not have, and, uh, uh, but you know, to you know, it's um, and I think the governor's plan to roll this out. You know, 84 percent of the people that have died, you know, from this disease were 65 and older, and so now we're down to the 60 and older, and probably next week we're going to get into that 55 to 60 or 50 to 60. I meant to say that, and I did, should have added this, and I'll do it now. That even though the the FEMA and 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 Governor Dwine announced today about that mass vaccination that will not come from the state of Ohio supply, we'll still have our regularly scheduled vaccinations at the different drugstore levels, you know, or going to the high schools and doing the teachers and things, so on like they had been doing. This is an added supply to what we we we've been scheduled to get, which is an added bonus. So it's not like we're going to go to Cleveland State and then people that would otherwise go to Discount Drug Mart or one of the other places to get their shot will be denied it. So that's a positive. And that, as they say, at 6,000 people a day, that's 40,000 people, 42,000 people a week times eight weeks. We're going to knock off more than, you know, over 300,000 people, hopefully. Uh, the, the question is, is trying to convince the people the shot is safe. It's been well tested, you know. and But, you know, I understand that some people... They they they'd rather take their chances because at the end of the day, less than two percent of the people that get COVID die, and so they might think if they're worried about side effects or you know they're you know they're going to grow a third ear somewhere. And I don't mean to you know belittle their concerns. You know, um, you know, frankly, uh, I was glad well, that, to that that's to true. Get, get the shot. I think that uh, you know one of the advantages of being sixty-seven. <laughs> years old. Yeah, is, is to get that. Well, I, I've said once before, I mean, maybe months ago, when the mortality rate for COVID is still around 2%, uh, just imagine, if you would, that someone puts a big bowl of M&Ms in front of you with 100 M&M pieces in it, and they say, have as many as you like, but I have to tell you, two of them are poison and will kill you. Uh, how likely are you to jump into that? So COVID is still dangerous out there, and I know we received our, our, our two doses because we're old, but uh, have the two doses, and it does give you sort of a liberating feeling that there's one less thing to worry about. Now we're looking at the recovery of the economy and our, our society post-pandemic. I, I, think, 
I think we could look not only forward to the economy reopening, but when the the economy reopens, thankfully to what has been done in 2020, you know, by the federal government, what's being done in 2021 to keep the ship afloat and actually doing better than just being afloat, I think we're going to come roaring back. As a matter of fact, oh, I think so too. some major economists who are very bullish on the uh, on our nation's economy as we come out of this COVID nightmare. Uh, well, I know one of the com- one of the comparisons uh, that we've heard regularly was the COVID uh, being similar to the Spanish flu of 1918. When that finally passed, and we got into the 1920s. You recall they called it the Roaring Twenties. Yes. As everyone came roaring back to uh, to life, and and I could see the same thing happening here. Agree, I agree. I think that'll be, uh, uh, and uh, and especially for these businesses that have survived, and I feel so bad for the businesses that have not been able to survive. And uh, but a lot of the companies, um, you know, that were teetering, this is that final little push to push them over the edge, and that's tragic for the folks that own those businesses or worked at those businesses. But, like, for example, a lot of the restaurants and bars that just couldn't survive with takeout only or things like that. But one thing you'll never have a shortage of is restaurants. Even during the pandemic, new restaurants are opening. You know, so, matter of fact, um, I would try to go for a fish fry last Friday as I got back in town, and uh, I was pleased to see the parking lots at the restaurants uh uh, at, at, a, at a later time, I'm there I'm almost 8 o'clock at night by the time I get into town, and this restaurant's packed, this restaurant's packed. The, the churches I normally would consider, but they, they shut off their fish fries by 7, so they were in consideration. But it was it was good to see that the people are, are, are starting to get back, and as I think you said, once you get the vaccines, you know, and or just people that have noticed the numbers going down, and, uh, you know, they're... And there's always been that group of people that don't care, you know, but I do believe that for the sake of others, you know, you know, if, if you if you feel that it's not encumbering you, so I, I think that folks should probably continue to wear a mask. You know, I know that. Well, I, I think so until things get better and better, and I think we see things getting better and better every day, uh, carefully watching the news and watching the statistics. But uh, we certainly appreciate uh, your insight as to what's going on in Columbus, Ohio, for us here in the state of Ohio. And state one, Representative Tom Patton, one thank you. One real quick thing. Thank you. But one real quick thing. The mandate is, it, I mean, it should be a personal decision. And, you know, the folk, but I, I encourage people to wear them, but I think that it's a personal choice. I want to make that point real clear. But thanks for having me, Nick. Appreciate it. Okay, Tom, thank you very much. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week, same time, same station. So between now and then, good night. In a dream Or in my drifting days After the war I found a tea room North of the Mozambique shore Worn Persian carpet On the sandwood floor Rope pointed slippers By the bamboo door On the wall A faded picture of a movie queen Torn from the pages Of some ancient magazine Dreaming parrot dreams And I sat and watched The Zanzibar sunset Sat and drank my fresh mint tea With 